Section 7 of A Book of Sibyls by Anne Thackeray Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mrs. Barbold, Part 7. How strangely unnatural it seems when fate's heavy hand falls upon quiet and commonplace lives, changing the tranquil routine of every day into the solemnities and excitements of terror and tragedy it was after their removal to stoke newington that the saddest of all blows fell upon this true-hearted woman her husband's hypochondria deepened and changed and the attacks became so serious that her brother and his family urged her anxiously to leave him to other care than her own it was no longer safe for poor mr barbold to remain alone with his wife and her life says mrs le breton was more than once in peril but at first she would not hear of leaving him although on more than one occasion she had to fly for protection to her brother close by there is something very touching in the patient fidelity in which mrs barbold tried to soothe the later sad disastrous years of her husband's life she must have been a woman of singular nerve and courage to endure as she did the excitement and cruel aberrations of her once gentle and devoted companion she only gave in after long resistance an alien nation from me has taken possession of his mind she says in a letter to mrs kenrick my presence seems to irritate him and i must resign myself to a separation from him who has been for thirty years the partner of my heart my faithful friend my inseparable companion with her habitual reticence she dwells no more on that painful topic but goes on to make plans for them both asks her old friend to come and cheer her in her loneliness and the faithful betsy now a widow with grown-up stepchildren ill herself troubled by deafness and other infirmities responds with a warm heart and promises to come bringing the comfort with her of old companionship and familiar sympathy there is something very affecting in the loyalty of the two aged women stretching out their hands to each other across a whole lifetime after her visit mrs barbold writes again he is now at norwich and i hear very favourable accounts of his health and spirits he seems to enjoy himself very much amongst his old friends there and converses among them with his usual animation there are no symptoms of violence or of depression so far is favourable but this cruel alienation from me in which my brother is included still remains deep-rooted and whether he will ever change in this point heaven only knows the medical men fear he will not if so my dear friend what remains for me but to resign myself to the will of heaven and to think with pleasure that every day brings me nearer a period which naturally cannot be very far off and at which this as well as every temporal affliction must terminate anything but this is the cry of weak mortals when afflicted and sometimes i own i am inclined to make it mine but i will check myself but while she was hoping still a fresh outbreak of the malady occurred he poor soul weary of his existence put an end to his sufferings he was found lifeless in the new river lucy aiken quotes a dirge found among her aunt's papers after her death pure spirit oh where art thou now O oh, whisper to my soul o oh, let some soothing thought of thee this bitter grief control 
tis not for thee the tears i shed thy sufferings now are o'er the sea is calm the tempest past on that eternal shore no more the storms that wreck thy peace shall tear that gentle breast nor summer's rage nor winter's cold that poor poor frame molest farewell with honour peace and love be that dear memory blest thou hast no tears for me to shed when i too am at rest but her time of rest was not yet come and she lived for seventeen years after her husband she was very brave she did not turn from the sympathy of her friends she endured her loneliness with courage she worked to distract her mind here is a touching letter addressed to mrs taylor of norwich in which she says a thousand thanks for your kind letter still more for the very short visit that preceded it though short too short it has left indelible impressions on my mind my heart has truly had communion with yours your sympathy has been balm to it and i feel that there is now no one on earth to whom i could pour out that heart more readily i am now sitting alone again and feel like a person who has been sitting by a cheerful fire not sensible at the time of the temperature of the air but the fire removed he finds the season is still winter day after day passes and i do not know what to do with my time my mind has no energy nor power of application how much she felt her loneliness appears again and again from one passage in another then she struggled against discouragement she took to her pen again to mrs kenrick she writes i intend to pay my letter debts not much troubling my head whether i have anything to say or not yet to you my heart has always something to say it always recognizes you as among the dearest of its friends and while it feels that new impressions are made with difficulty and early effaced retains and ever will retain i trust beyond this world those of our early and long-tried affection she set to work again trying to forget her heavy trials it was during the first years of her widowhood that she published her edition of the british novelists in some fifty volumes there is an opening chapter to this edition upon novels and novel writing which is an admirable and most interesting essay upon fiction beginning from the very earliest times in eighteen eleven she wrote her poem on the king's illness and also the longer poem which provoked such indignant comments at the time it describes britain's rise in luxury warns her of the dangers of her unbounded ambition and unjustifiable wars arts arms and wealth destroy the fruits they bring commerce like beauty knows no second spring her ingenuous youth from ontario's shore who visits the ruins of london is one of the many claimants to the honour of having suggested lord macaulay's celebrated new zealander pensive and thoughtful shall the wanderers greet each splendid square and still untrodden street or of some crumbling turret mined by time the broken stairs with perilous step shall climb thence stretch their view the wide horizon round by scattered hamlets trace its ancient bound and choked no more with fleets fair thames survey through reeds and sedge pursue his idle way it is impossible not to admire the poem 
though it is stilted and not to the present taste the description of britain as it now is and as it once was is very ingenious where once banduca whirled the scythed car and the fierce matrons raised the shriek of war light forms beneath transparent muslin float and tutored voices swell the artful note light-leaved acacias and the shady plain and spreading cedars grace the woodland rain the poem is forgotten now though it was scouted at the time and violently attacked southey himself falling upon the poor old lady and devouring her spectacles and all she felt these attacks very much and could not be consoled though miss edgeworth wrote a warm-hearted letter of indignant sympathy but mrs barbold had something in her too genuine to be crushed even by sarcastic criticism she published no more but it was after her poem of eighteen eleven that she wrote the beautiful ode by which she is best known and best remembered the ode that wordsworth used to repeat and say he envied that tennyson has called sweet verses of which the lines ring their tender hopeful chime like sweet church bells on a summer evening madame d'arblay in her old age told crabbe robinson that every night she said the verses over to herself as she went to her rest to the writer they are almost sacred the hand that patiently pointed out to her one by one the syllables of mrs barbold's hymns for children that tended our childhood as it attended our fathers marked these verses one night when it blessed us for the last time life we've been long together through pleasant and through cloudy weather tis hard to part when friends are dear perhaps twill cost a sigh or tear then steal away give little warning choose thine own time say not good-night but in some brighter clime bid me good-morning mrs barbold was over seventy when she wrote this ode a poem called octogenary reflections is also very touching say ye who through this round of eighty years have proved its joys and sorrows hopes and fears say what is life ye veterans who have trod step following steps its flowery thorny road enough of good to kindle strong desire enough of ill to damp the rising fire enough of love and fancy joy and hope to fan desire and give the passions scope enough of disappointment sorrow pain to seal the wise man's sentence all is vain there is another fragment of hers in which she likens herself to a schoolboy left of all the train who hears no sound of wheels to bear him to his father's bosom home thus i look to the hour when i shall follow those that are at rest before me and then at last the time came for which she longed her brother died her faithful mrs kenrick died and mrs taylor whom she loved most of all she had consented to give up her solitary home to spend the remaining years of her life in the home of her adopted son charles now married and a father but it was while she was on a little visit to her sister-in-law mrs aiken that the summons came very swiftly and peacefully as she sat in her chair one day her nephew transcribed these the last line she ever wrote who are you do you not know me 
have you not expected me whither do you carry me come with me and you shall know the way is dark it is well trodden yes in the forward track come along oh shall i see there my beloved ones will they welcome me and will they know me oh tell me tell me thou canst tell me yes but thou must come first stop a little keep thy hand off till thou hast told me i never wait oh shall i see the warm sun again in my cold grave nothing is there that can feel the sun oh where then come i say one may acknowledge the great progress which people have made since mrs barbold's day in the practice of writing prose and poetry in the art of expressing upon paper the thoughts which are in most people's minds it is to use a friend's simile like playing upon the piano everybody now learns how to play upon the piano and it is certain that the modest performances of the ladies of mrs barbold's time would scarcely meet with the attention now which they then received but all the same the stock of true feeling of real poetry is not increased by the increased volubility of our pens and so when something comes to us that is real that is complete in pathos or in wisdom we still acknowledge the gift and are grateful for it End of section 7